Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Becoming Immune Confident podcast. My name is Dr. Kara Wada. I'm a pediatric and adult allergy, immunology, lifestyle medicine physician, and autoimmune patient. And goodness, do we have a treat for you today. I love bringing guests on the podcast, colleagues, and um, other folks that I know will really resonate with our community. And Dr. Lisa Doggett is right in step with all the things we are talking about. She is a family physician and writer. She is based out of Austin, Texas, and she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, an autoimmune condition in 2009. She is passionate about improving care for vulnerable populations and helping people with MS and other chronic conditions live their best lives. She recently joined the MS and Neuroimmunology Center at the University of Texas, Austin, Dell Medical School as a primary care and lifestyle medicine physician. Dr. Doggett is the author of a new memoir, Up the Down Escalator, Medicine, Motherhood, and Multiple Sclerosis. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and having conversation with us today. Thank you so much, Kara. It's really a thrill to be on your program. I would love for you, if you wouldn't mind, to just share a little bit of your story. How did you end up where you are now? Yeah, so thank you again. I am a family doctor, as you said, was practicing medicine in in Austin for a few years, had two young daughters who were two and four, and was working a really busy schedule. I was actually running a clinic for people with without private insurance. I'm married to a pediatric hospital doctor, and so he was working evenings and weekends. I was really stressed out all the time. And one morning I woke up dizzy and thought, oh, I'm just getting a cold, no big deal. Kept going on throughout my week. It wasn't like incapacitating dizziness, but it was certainly very annoying and harder, made everything just more difficult. But I started getting new symptoms towards the end of the week, got double vision, had some taste changes, was like, what is going on? I started getting kind of freaked out. I think as a physician, we're taught to think of all the things that could go wrong or what's the worst case scenario. And so I started thinking, oh my gosh, I must have a brain tumor. This is just not making any sense. Fortunately for me as a physician, I was able to connect really quickly with a couple other doctors. I saw a neurologist and then an ear, nose, and throat doctor and uh, got an MRI. Mm. And I had a diagnosis nine days after my the dizziness had started wow. of multiple sclerosis. That really was a transformation for me from doctor to patient. And it's really impacted my career in some major ways, including now being back at, at being at Dell Medical School and MS clinic. Going back to kind of when you had that initial diagnosis, what sorts of things were going through your mind kind of in that initial few days, weeks, yeah. months um, even? Oh my gosh. It was a total shock. Of course, I was glad I didn't have a brain tumor, yeah. but that's is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I knew kind of embarrassingly little about MS. I had never diagnosed anybody with it. I had only seen a couple of patients that had it and they were being cared for by a neurologist. So I really was not, it it didn't even occur to me that I could have MS, even when I was thinking all these other things, but I didn't think of MS at the time of my diagnosis. And so I started to, I had to learn a lot about it. And at first I turned on the computer and started reading MS as the leading cause of disability in young adults. I see all these pictures of people with creative mobility devices and start reading about all the symptoms. And 
that was terrifying. So just like a quick aside, MS, uh, you know this, but for listeners, is a disease of the central nervous system and it is an autoimmune process. So the body attacks itself and specifically it attacks myelin, which is the coating around nerve cells. And it causes all kinds of weird symptoms, kind of most common, commonly and noticeably causes mobility problems, but it also can cause things like sensory changes, cognitive problems, depression, anxiety, bowel and bladder problems, vision problems, you name it. And right, it head to toe. And certainly it's a weird condition because it's often relapsing, remitting, which means you have periods where you get better and periods where you get worse. And so if I had actually not been able to get in and get care pretty quickly, I certainly could have had the diagnosis missed because I got better as the natural course is for about 85% of people with MS. So I mean, all that to say, this was a huge shock. I didn't know about MS. I didn't know what treatments were out there. I knew it was kind of a big deal, but it took a lot of time for me to come, ter- come to terms with the fact that I had gotten this chronic condition at a young age when I was really too busy with other things to even have time to handle it. Yeah. And then to live with the uncertainty of this condition, as you also yeah. know. What sorts of approaches are there that are out there in regards to treatment. About 30 years ago, there was nothing. And one of the kind of terms or expressions that was used with MS was diagnose and adios. That's what the neurologist said because they would diagnose you and then there was nothing else to be done. Fortunately, I got MS at a time when there were a lot more treatments. And today, 14 years, 14 and a half years since my diagnosis, there are even more treatments, actually more than two dozen, disease-modifying therapies that significantly reduce the progression of MS. I now get an infusion twice a year. It's not a big deal anymore. It it was certainly scary at first, but I've been through several other treatments. The treatment that I'm on now didn't exist at the time of my diagnosis. There just continue to be new developments. But now lots and lots of good therapies. We still don't have enough for people that have progressive MS, mm-hmm. which is a smaller percentage of people who have don't have that those remitting periods, but actually continue to get worse. And a lot of those people do end up with significant disability. It's amazing to even think because the last time I did a more than a surface level dive into MS probably would have been it, primarily in medical school. And at that time, it really was just maybe a handful of treatments. This was losing track of time, but almost 15 years ago now. And that, I mean, it sounds similar to this robust increase in treatments that we've also seen for, and for rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel. And now hopefully seeing for Sjogren's too, knock on wood, in this family, a lot of them are, are biologic medications. So kind of really working a little bit more targeted too to that immune system that is not behaving as it should. Exactly. Yes, we're so fortunate to have seen these advances and I hope they continue. Agreed. I was interacting with someone in the last few weeks that was just given a really scary diagnosis, something that is a a life-shortening diagnosis that's in the autoimmune family, quite rare, but it's hearing stories like this, where we've seen such an increase in treatments and treatment availability that I think at least, and I'm hopeful that they will be able to have some hope that there may be, even though they're given maybe by their care team a specific amount of time, that some of these treatments really do slow those 
estimates that folks were initially given out of the water. Right. No, we definitely are seeing advances in, in many different areas, but we still have a long way to Absolutely. go. And there are some diagnoses that, that can be still devastating. Yeah. Fortunately, MS is not one of them most of the yeah. time, although for people with progressive, sometimes rapidly progressive MS, it can be uh, a major yeah. life event. You also have a focus of using lifestyle to kind of help with your patients. And I'd love to hear how that comes into play and maybe things that you found helpful. Oh my goodness. I tried so many things <laughs> because the disease modifying therapies for MS, they do slow progression, but they actually don't really address most of your symptoms. And so I was still struggling with dizziness even after I started therapy and even after I stopped having progression or my relapses improved, I still had a lot of symptoms and I still have symptoms from time to time. Dizziness is still my main one, but I learned a lot of things to cope. I already was really healthy. Uh, in fact, I was so angry that I got diagnosed because I was like, I'm already a health nut. I'm already doing everything I need to. And I still got sick and that's a frustration is that you can do everything right and still there's bad luck. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that you should stop trying. And for me, I decided one chronic disease is more than enough and I don't want to get any more. <laughs> High five to that. <laughs> totally right. <laughs> so I doubled down on my healthy diet, made sure I exercise every day, really made self-care a priority, getting enough sleep, stress management, which is a huge struggle still, but I do my best. And in connection with others, a lot of those tenets of lifestyle medicine that we know are really important. I made those serious priorities. I also tried some weird things like visual therapy and balance therapy. I went and tried acupuncture a few times, which did help some, did yoga. And, and I think the thing that really helped me the most in the end was meditation, mm -hmm. mindfulness meditation. I took a class, learned how to do it because I thought I can't sit still. I can't stop my thoughts. And learned how to deal with a lot of the kind of challenges that people face commonly with meditation. And that's become a regular practice for me and has helped my symptoms a lot. I, similar for me, I've used some of the free apps that are out there to kind of, to learn and, and keep me accountable. And I think it's a lot of that, how you manage your mind that really builds so much of the resiliency that is really helpful when you're dealing with the uncertainty of a condition that has the potential to flare up. Right. Yeah. yeah. One of the, the sayings that my meditation teacher taught me is just, this is the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. And I just love that because when I'm having dizziness or I'm feeling fearful around, about my future or just kind of coping with that uncertainty, that saying, this is the way it is right now, brings me back to the present moment and also reminds me that, yes, this is how things are now, but things will change. There's that the one constant is change. And it just kind of helps me to refocus, reframe, and just, uh, yeah, to reset my mindset. It's so important. And I don't know about for you, but for me, like, I have to keep reminding, like, time and time. It's like this lesson that, like, I know... But it just, it requires this constant like coming back to, especially when you're just caught up in the busyness of seeing your patients in clinic or doing bedtime with the kids or traveling, any of those sorts of things. It's, oh, no, wait, we're here. Things will change. It is what it is. It's what it is. Things will change. When you are talking with patients about using lifestyle in conjunction with medications, what are some of the roadblocks or 
things that they maybe find difficult in making some of those changes. I think our culture is not set up to embrace a lot of the tenets of lifestyle medicine. We don't have walkable neighborhoods in a lot of parts of the country. Restaurants don't offer healthy plant-based options in many cases. We have a culture that also kind of values toughing it out. And yes. if you don't sleep for a long time, you're tough. That's good for you. You're lazy if you're sleeping too much. There's just a lot of messages that our culture kind of sends and surrounds us with. And I think that really combating those and calling them out for being unhealthy and then also trying to be creative to find solutions is important, but it's part of the challenge that I face as well as certainly my patients do. I'm just thinking about medical training and how those are magnified, especially when it comes to the toughing it out and sleep is for the week and all these things right. that, I mean, I believed as a med student and resident. And now I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> how much did this set me up for these problems? Our training is not healthy at all. I know we're just trying to eat whenever you can, whatever it is that's in front of you and what's pizza. And that's exactly <laughs> what came to mind. Like the easiest the thing to bring into yeah. meetings. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's part of the problem is that we doctors also are not taught to take care of ourselves. We're not taught even basic nutrition a lot of times in medical school and, and residency we aren't there to support our patients. And so that's why I sought out extra lifestyle medicine training so that I really am able to support my patients to make healthy choices and to change their lifestyles. And one thing that I have been trying with my patients is just trying my best to meet them where they are in what they're ready. If we're having a conversation about their asthma or like how is your sleep? How is your how is your air quality? And then in kind of just getting the sense of, okay, are we going to be able to tackle taking the candles out of the house? Or are we going to talk about exercise? What are you ready for? And then how can you help formulate that plan of thinking, being there to support and stimulate some ideas and thinking, but also helping that person come up with the idea? Yeah, exactly. I think we're taught often we're really pressed for time, right? So we go into the room and say, okay, you need to do this and this, but that's not actually very helpful. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think fortunately I now have longer visit times than I used to. And I'm able to really dive in with patients to understand what their interests are, you know, what they are willing to change, what, what are some areas where they're not. And to try to come up with goals that they formulate, but that I can support and can validate as good options. And then I can help kind of provide some ideas, be creative with them, problem solve around some barriers, and maybe ask some questions to help them think about ways that they might get tripped up in meeting their goals, but how to overcome those barriers. Have there been any particular changes in your own lifestyle that were really tough, but now you're like, oh, yes, I'm curious. Um, I did get a little more strict with my diet. I was already vegetarian, but I became a vegan about four years ago. And I wouldn't, I'm not super, super strict about it. I am flexible, especially when I travel because there aren't a lot of options sometimes. Absolutely. And I just don't want to be difficult, especially if I'm traveling with other people. But that was a pretty significant change that I now have embraced and feel like it's not nearly as difficult as I once thought it would be. So yeah, That's just awesome. a healthier plant-based diet, 
and then, then the meditation, like I thought, oh my gosh, I can never meditate. I don't know how to stop my thoughts. And then learning that when you're meditating, you're focusing on the present moment, but it's normal to have those thoughts and they are intrusive and they're constantly coming at you, but that's okay. And you can just accept, recognize them and just let them go again. When you recognize that you're sidetracked with a thought, that's a mindful moment. And so you can kind of pat yourself on the back and say, okay, that's a mindful moment. I'm being mindful and continue with your practice. Really making sure that I incorporate some of those principles of meditation, being mindful throughout the day, not just when I'm doing a practice, but also I have made um, meditation a part of every morning and every evening, just a short few minutes of meditating and connecting with that present moment. That's awesome. I have recommitted to moving every day. And that, I mean, that's another place where I think I've had to have that flexibility that you kind of mentioned with diet of, okay, it's going to look different based on the schedule or if we're, or if I have a cold or the kids aren't sleeping or what have you. But what I've realized is for me that it has made a significant difference in my energy and my pain levels. And it's been seeing that benefit, I feel like is helpful in its own right. But then bringing recognition of, oh, yes, yes, this is part of what is helping, (laughs) like has been helpful in keeping it. Because that was a conversation recently with another guest, Dr. Ken, just talking about how maintenance, but also relapse are both parts of what we call the states of change. So realizing that this is a journey, (laughs) we're going to have ups and downs, and sometimes we're going to have bumps in the road, but learning that bounce back. Yeah. No, and I I love what you said about exercise. I I exercise every day and I do it in part to prevent other chronic diseases, as we said, but I exercise each day to feel better that day because I do feel so much better. I mean, it just helps my energy and my mood and my sleep. There's so many reasons just for that particular day to get out and move. So that's what I do first thing every morning, seven days a week. (laughs) And then I I thought of one more thing that you were talking about kind of new changes that I've made. And the most recent one has actually been adding strength training. I really wasn't doing that much before, but yeah, I I learned from my lifestyle medicine training, how important it is and how strength training is connected with prevention of lots of chronic conditions, as well as reduction of disability. And it's especially important for people with MS. Um, So now I've added strength training twice a week and, uh, and I feel definitely stronger and feel great about it. That's part of my like routine too. I have actually my little goals for 2024 and it's get strong. And I was never, I, I mean, I'm still not doing real heavy weights or anything, but do just incorporating some of that strength. It's And one of the things that I thought, this just happened last night that just tickled me. My eight-year-old picked up the two pound weights and she joined me for like half of my like arms workout. And this morning at the bus stop, we're chatting and she's, yeah, that was fun. But my arms kind of fell asleep about halfway through. <laughs> and I'm like, you got two. It's okay. Five minutes is, is five. It's more than none. And it's cool seeing how our habits, like they, to some degree, they're a little bit contagious for others to see too. Absolutely. I love it that your eight-year-old saw you. That's just like exactly what you want with role modeling. Yeah. You may not even be intentionally like demonstrating this for your kids, but they are catching on and and noticing that this is important and obviously wanting to try it out. That's awesome. I love that story. We weren't so excited about the more, it wasn't totally plant-based because we had a little goat cheese, but I made like a more plant-based dinner option this week and they weren't as enthusiastic about that. (laughs) But 
We'll keep working at it. Yeah, you just have to kind of, you have to make some little adjustments every now and then. And maybe they'll get, maybe they'll find new things that they like. Yeah, it was squash and lentils. It was quite tasty. It was, I think, just a little bit off of the, not the typical kiddo type food, right? Right. (laughs) Um, As you think about these lessons that you've learned as both a patient and as a physician, do you have advice you would give to maybe someone who is still on that diagnostic odyssey of they, they know something isn't right and they may have some thoughts on what it is, but they're really struggling with getting someone to listen? Yeah, that is so difficult. And I've talked to a lot of people, especially people who are struggling with a diagnosis that's not obvious to get a doctor to listen, to get an answer. That's a very scary time. I think it's important not to give up. So make sure that if you really feel like something's wrong and you see a doctor and they're not getting it, they're not giving you time of day, you have to go seek care from another physician and just keep pushing for answers. Um, That self-advocacy part is really important, even after you have a diagnosis, uh, whether it's fighting to get um, a bill that was unfairly sent to you um, written off or um, to get your medication delivered on time. I have a whole chapter about my medication delivery um, issues in my book. Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I think that self-advocacy piece is really important when you're seeking a diagnosis. I also think it's important to get help, find people, make sure you've got a support circle. That's a really important bit of advice. It's just, if you don't have a support circle, seek others new relationships, new friends in your community. There's, I just learned about meetup.com, which is a really great way to to meet new people and connect around different activities with others in your community. There's lots of ways to meet people, uh, take a class, do a volunteer activity, but establish your support circle. And then if you're struggling, you have to turn to that support circle and don't be afraid to ask Mm -hmm. for help. So I think advocacy, getting support, making sure that you find a doctor who's curious and really will go the distance to give you answers. Those are really important. It can be very tough though. It's interesting. I'm listening to this audio book. It's called The Well-Lived Life. It's by Dr. Gladys McGarry. She's like 102. She's, I think, still practicing physician. It's it's an interesting listen. But one of the little bit that I listened to on the drive home last night was talking about just how our culture has very much shifted away from, it was commonplace back when she was raising her kids that you'd ask the neighbor to watch your kids for a few minutes or borrow a cup of sugar or what have you. And we've gotten away from that. And then of course, throw a pandemic on there where there was legitimate like concern about germs. And But that community and that ability to lean on one another is so vitally important certainly in chronic illness, in motherhood, and in all of these struggles that we're bound to have at some point along the way. No, absolutely. Social isolation is it's a risk factor itself for a number of chronic conditions, including like heart disease, stroke. Um, it increases cancer deaths, dementia, mental illness. We know that being connected with others is so important. And I think that's another piece that I've learned from lifestyle medicine is often missed uh, in traditional medicine. We doctors often don't ask people about their connection with others and how their relationships are going, but it's actually a a really important part of life and an important part of health. (laughs) 
I'm just thinking back to even some of those instances and training, especially of you didn't want to go there because goodness, that was a whole can of worms that might open up, right? And that might make that visit longer, but it's so short-sighted. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, The time pressures in medicine are really a problem. And that's another thing (laughs) I wrote a lot about it by book is just, we're constantly under productivity expectations to see lots of patients as fast as possible. And you just don't have the time to be medically curious or to ask questions about relationships or to help patients understand what their motivations and goals are or really to get at that rather than just kind of telling them what to do. And we do have some issues where we ideally would shift our culture and our the way that we conduct our visits so that we have more time and really can get to know people. One of these days we'll convince the powers that be in all parts of the system how important that is. Yeah, Yeah, I hope so. Where can people find you? Where can they pick up the down escalator? Tell us all the places people can connect. Yeah, so up the down escalator, medicine, motherhood, and multiple sclerosis is my memoir. It is available at kind of all the usual places. You can order it through your bookstore if they don't carry it. You can also get it on Amazon, of course. There's an audio book, and I'm very proud of the audio book. It was super fun to narrate, and I was able to, to narrate it myself. And um, I'm a big fan of audiobooks because I do like to multitask, <laughs> and you can do that while you're driving or emptying the dishwasher. That's one way to learn more about my story. I also have a website, which is w.lisadoggett.com, and Lisa Doggett is L-I-S-A-D-O-G-E-T-T. There's a newsletter that I send out every two, one to two months with health tips about MS, but also in general for other people and lots of fun photos. I do a lot of photography. Those are fun ways to kind of stay in touch. And then I'm also on all the kind of usual social media channels, Lisa Doggett MD and Facebook is author Lisa Doggett. We will make sure to have links to all of those in the show notes so you can just click over and get signed up for the newsletter, order the book, all of those things. It is on my list, my short list of the books to read while I'm out of town this coming week. So I'm super excited. And thank you. I can't wait. I know we are going to, I'm so glad we were able to connect and our universes overlapped. And I'm sure this is just the first of many conversations to come. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was great. If you are loving this mix of self-discovery and science found here on the Becoming Immune Confident podcast, I'd love to invite you to sign up for my email list. Hop over to drcarawada.com and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any insights into new immune system science or how we can harness healing through our daily habits. Are you ready to feel confident, energized, and more like that BA that you used to be? Here's how we can work together. Jennifer, an autoimmune dietitian, and I, board-certified immunologist, have put together the one and only Becoming Immune Confident comprehensive course, coaching, and community membership. What we do is we help women with misbehaving immune systems reclaim control over their health while minimizing fatigue, fog, and pain, all caused from too much inflammation. So if you are ready to have confidence and clarity around your immune system health, and a sense of certainty, knowing that you are doing the best for your health and the health of your family, hop over to immuneconfident.com for details on how we can work together. We can't wait to connect. Hey there, amazing listeners. Before we wrap up today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to ask for your support. 
If you're enjoying the content of the Becoming Immune Confident podcast we're bringing you week after week, there's a simple but incredibly impactful way you can show your appreciation. You see, leaving a review is like giving us a virtual high five, and it helps our podcast reach even more people who could benefit from the valuable insights, entertainment, and inspiration we strive to provide week after week. So if you're finding value in what you hear, here's what you can do. Open up your podcast app, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, and give us a glowing five-star review. We're dedicated to bringing you the best, and your feedback helps us fine-tune our content to suit your interests and needs. But hey, don't stop there. If you have a moment, leaving a few kind words in the review section goes a long way too. Share what you love about the podcast, your favorite episodes, or how it's made a positive impact on your life. Your words not only brighten our day, but they also encourage others to join our incredible community. Remember, every five-star review and every word of encouragement counts. It's like fuel to keep us creating, innovating, and striving to make your listening experience even better. So if you're up for it, show us some love by leaving us that virtual high five in the form of a five-star review today. And a huge shout out to all of you who have already taken the time to do so. You rock. Thank you for being a part of our podcast journey, and we can't wait to keep bringing you more amazing episodes in the future. Until next time, keep shining and keep listening and keep on building that confidence in yourself and your immune system health. Take care.